Well, perhaps you have heard of the experience that happens when people live near train tracks. When someone first moves there, the sound of the passing trains is overwhelming, right? But over time, some people get so used to it that they can sleep right through it, even though it's this incredibly loud noise. Obviously, not everybody gets used to the trains, but some do. And I find that's pretty amazing, that we could get used to a noise that is so loud, especially when we think about exactly how loud a train is. Just give you a perspective. We measure the intensity of sound by a unit called decibels, okay? Now, between 70 and 80 decibels are noises like blenders and a car that's going 70 miles an hour. So that's about 70 or 80 decibels. Between 80 and 90 decibels, you have, you have someone who was shouting really loud at you. That's, a, that's in that range. Or a diesel truck, right, that is muffled. Go up to 90 to 100 decibels, then you bump into locomotives. We're getting louder and louder, right? And between 95 and 115 decibels, you have a train horn, right? The horns that blast out really loud to let everybody know a train's coming through. It's louder than a siren. That's how loud it is. Just to give you a perspective, a jet a jet aircraft 500 feet away is 120 decibels. So a train, friends, is incredibly loud. Yet, again, sometimes people become so familiar with a train that they don't even hear it anymore. I looked at an online forum where some people were talking about living near trains. Some people were talking about how they did hear them, and other people talked about, no, I didn't hear them anymore. This was one person who lived in Oregon. He wrote, anywhere you live in Halsey, that's the town, you can hear the train. I've lived here most of my life, and for the last 14 years, about 75 yards from the tracks. That's really close, isn't it? He said, we don't even hear the train." But when we have company that sleeps over, all they can talk about is how loud the train is. Sadly, human beings do the same thing spiritually. We might encounter something that strikes us really hard at first, but before long, we tune it out. I think a glaring example is the Lord's Prayer. Here, Jesus tells us how to pray. Wow, Jesus tells us how to pray. Humans, we all have an instinct to pray, right? Because God has put that in us, and we know God wants us to pray. And we know that our prayers should have an eternal impact. They have that type of power. And Jesus, who is God in human flesh, tells us how to pray. And he doesn't give us, a, 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 you know, an encyclopedia. He tells us in a very short, memorable way how we should pray. So if Jesus is telling us how we should pray, we should listen very carefully, right? 
And at first, maybe we've heard the Lord's Prayer, we're stirred. But over time, we read it, we hear it, we recite it, and we don't even really hear it anymore, do we? Of course, part of the problem is that the Lord's Prayer is often is recited mechanically in church services with no explanation as to his meaning and significance. So the Lord's Prayer ends up really meaning nothing. And a lot of times when people hear it, there's this sort of instinctive reaction to glaze over. It becomes faint background noise, just like a train. So church... We need, I would say, a spiritual, new spiritual freight train to roll through our hearts and be reminded about the Lord's Prayer. We need to have the familiar stir us again. God wants us to have an enjoyable and powerful prayer life that is making a difference eternally, and Jesus has told us how to do so. By God's grace, I pray that it will happen today. That was all them. (laughs) You ready? You wait? (laughs) Now, before we get to the Lord's Prayer, just to recap from last week, we were starting a brief series on prayer this all-important topic. And last week, we explored the question, what is prayer? Remember what we said. Prayer is personal communication with God. Prayer is personal communication with God. Also mentioned that prayer is communion-centered and kingdom-centered, right? It is communion-centered. We fellowship with God. We respond to him in personal and real ways. It's also kingdom-centered. We're praying that God would expand his kingdom and our prayers participate in the expanse of the kingdom. I also mentioned that prayer is Trinitarian. God has revealed himself as a trinity, and he wants us to pray accordingly. We don't pray however we feel like praying. We pray how God has told us to pray, and according to the roles he takes on in Scripture. Well, I said last week, it's right to pray to each person of the Trinity. There's a general pattern that God has instructed us to follow. Prayers to be addressed to the Father through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. If you weren't here last week, I kind of talked about that more in depth. Listen online, you can catch up. So, so far, though, we've not discussed how to pray, the content of our prayer. And we all know that can be a challenge, right? Sometimes we want to pray, but we don't know what to say. We run out of things to say. So this is where we turn to Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus tells us. Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus is going to tell us with the Lord's Prayer. Now, as you're turning there, page 811, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. 
And he gives them this outline, this pattern, this template and how to pray. And really, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's probably better said it's the disciples' prayer because this is how we are to pray. But just for sake of convenience and communication, we'll keep calling it the Lord's Prayer. And without a doubt, it's the most famous prayer ever uttered and deservedly so. It's the prayer of prayers. Let me read you a quote from John MacArthur who writes in his book, Alone with God. He says, in fewer than 70 words, we find a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God who alone could compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a brief and simple form, a form that even a young child could understand, but the most mature believer cannot fully comprehend. So the Lord's Prayer truly captures the essence of prayer. So if you're with me, page 811, we're going to pick up in verses 9 and go all the way to verse 13, and then we'll go back through the verses. So Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So to start, we should address our prayers to the Father. Jesus revolutionized prayer by addressing our prayers to the Father. When you look in the Old Testament, there are a few occasions when the nation of Israel prayed to God as the Father, but never do you see this intimate, personal relationship in praying to the God praying to God as the Father. And so Jesus maintains this reverence because he is in heaven, right? We are on earth, so there's this maintaining of reverence, but there's this deepening of the intimacy and uh, relationship that we have with God. Our prayers are not to a distant deity, but to a personal God who desires that we share our hearts with him. So here again, you see that communion-centered prayer. Prayer, friends, is not just simply laying down a list before God. Prayer is not a ritual. It's not a routine. Prayer is about a relationship with the creator of the universe and your personal redeemer. God made us to know him, and prayer is the apex of that relationship. So prayer should be profoundly personal as we address God as he has revealed himself to us, our Father. Then Jesus gives us six petitions to pray. Now, if you notice, the last three petitions deal with our own personal needs in our lives, right? But the first three petitions, they deal with God and his glory. Did you notice that? So our prayers should put an emphasis on God, not us. The famous pastor and prayer warrior Andrew Murray says, Quote, there is something here that strikes us at once. While we ordinarily first bring our own needs to God in prayer, and then we think of what belongs to God and his interests, the master reverses the order. First, thy name, thy kingdom, and thy will. Then give us, lead us, deliver us. The lesson is of most importance, is of more importance than we think. In true worship, the Father must be first must be all. The sooner I learn to forget myself and the desire that he may be glorified, the richer will the blessing be that prayer will bring to myself. 
So again, that should strike us that the Lord's Prayer is first and foremost about God and His glory. Does that challenge us, if we're honest? Because our default mode of prayer is the other way around, right? We put ourselves first, and then oftentimes we sort of tack on a few things about God. Now, we could do a whole sermon on each of these different petitions, but I just kind of want to give a brief practical overview of these petitions, right, so we can incorporate them into our lives. The first petition that Jesus says there, going back to verse 9, he says, hallowed be your name. So our first petition is that God's name is hallowed. I've said before that biblically a person's name is not just to distinguish them one from another, but it captures your essence and who you are. And so we're praying that God's name, his character, his essence would be hallowed. An old English word there that means revered, to be honored, right? So we're praying that God would be honored. And if you notice, we're praying that God would honor himself. Pastor John Piper writes about this idea of God hallowing his name. He says, the first and overarching thing that we are told by Jesus to ask God to do is that God would exercise his jealousy for his name, that God would display the greatness of God, that God would make much of God, that God would overcome blindness to seeing God, that God would overcome indifference to God, that God would remove obstacles to knowing and admiring and loving and trusting and treasuring and obeying God. End quote. So we're praying that God would do something about his name, to set apart his name, that he would show that the various gods of the world are idols, whether they're secular idols or religious idols, that God would show that he is the one true God, that he would fill the earth with his glory so that people encounter him and his presence and his majesty. So that's what we're praying, friends that God would be honored, that he would honor himself as only he can do, that he would sweep us up in his glory and majesty. And this also means that we make much of God, right, in our own prayers, that we adore God, that we praise him for who he is, that we thank him for what he has done with salvation and the many blessings that he has given us in our lives. Friends, we always have much to be thankful for, amen? Even when you're going through difficulties and trials, never let your heart grow cold and thinking that you have nothing to be grateful for. And friends, I'm convinced that if we pray this way, it will change our prayer lives because then we're gonna flip our normal default mode to saying, seeking the glory of God in our lives. It will become our top priority. I think it makes our prayer lives so much more meaningful and satisfying than so, than so tiny and focused on ourselves, right? It gets boring to pray about ourselves all the time, you know? Just constantly focus on one little person in this whole universe. So the second petition is to pray for God's kingdom to come. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is his redemptive reign over people who believe in him, who love him, who honor him as Lord and Savior. And we know from the Gospels that Jesus, he inaugurated the kingdom of God, didn't he, when he came to this earth. This was the dominant theme of his ministry. It's what he constantly taught about. He demonstrated by these miracles and casting out demons. 
And we know that when he rose from the dead and, and was died on the cross, that was the decisive occasion because Jesus was then given authority over all nations to spread his kingdom. Remember what he said at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus rules over all the nations, and he's going to continue to spread that reign until he returns. So friends, we are to pray that the kingdom of God would come. That means, I think, that we pray the kingdom will continue to spread. That means that we want to make the kingdom our top priority and asking God that he would reign over us in all of our lives more and more. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, seek first what? The kingdom of God. Not our kingdom, but his kingdom. And I think it also means that we pray that Jesus would return, right? As, as we read at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want you to return. The third thing that we saw there is that God accomplishes his will. It says there, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a contrast, right? We know that in heaven, God's will is carried out perfectly, isn't it? There's no creatures that disobey God in heaven. They're not dragging their feet to obey. A little different on earth, right? And so we pray for things to change and that God's will is carried out more and more like it is in heaven. And by doing so, we trust that his will is good, don't we? Even when it is difficult. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, looming, the cross, looming on the horizon the next day, and Jesus wrestling passionately with God. And what does he pray? Not as I will, but as you will. So church, we need to pray we should pray that God changes our circumstances. Nothing wrong with praying that. But we need to have a settled peace that we want God's will to be done for his name and his glory and for our good. So then, after we've kind of gotten our hearts calibrated on God and his glory, then we go to talking about ourselves and praying for those around us, okay? So we do do that, but first we need to focus on God. But Jesus says we are to pray about meeting our physical needs. He says there, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We do live in a different day and age than Jesus' day. We do have much more in an abundance, don't we? But we should never lose sight of the fact that everything we have ultimately does come from God, and it is not guaranteed tomorrow. Do you realize that every breath you take should be a reminder that you need God? I don't know how God could give us a more potent reminder. Every breath you take is a reminder that God is sustaining you. And so we do, we do need God. We need him. Now, sometimes I've encountered people who kind of are on the other end of the spectrum, and they don't feel comfortable praying about their daily needs. And I think there's, there is kind of a noble, a noble thought there that they don't want to appear greedy or selfish in praying about themselves. But I also would say if that's the case, 
you might want to examine yourself a little closer because what could be lurking underneath is the same element of pride. That you are a self-sufficient person and that you don't really need God unless the bottom drops out. But Jesus is telling us, look, you need me on a daily basis, whether things are great or whether things are a catastrophe. So we are to present our needs to God. He wants us to do that. And he's focused here on our daily bread, but I think it's not just our physical needs, but I think things that go on in our lives, whether it's wisdom as we go through difficult situations, healing, safety, favors, favor with other people, and so on. All these things are presenting them before God in our needs. The fifth thing that Jesus said there was that God would forgive us our sins. He said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So as we have seen the the glory of God, his purity and his majesty, it kind of then reminds us of our own sin, right? When we start with God, it shows us who we are. Sin, friends, hinders our relationship to God, and we need to ask his forgiveness on a regular basis. And yes, each of us does have sin. In case you needed that newsflash, the Bible is clear that we all have sin. 1 John 1.8 very clearly says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so when we ask God to forgive us, it's not just saying that we sort of recognize that there is sin in our lives, but that we are sorry about it. Amen? Psalm 32, 3 to 5 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Pretty relevant for today, right? You know what it feels like. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So confession should be part of the content of our prayers. This is what Jesus tells us. If it's not, I don't think we're taking seriously the character of God, are we? Or we're taking seriously what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we also read there that Jesus tells us to forgive others. Since God has forgiven us so much, we should be quick to forgive other people in our lives who have wronged us. And then sixthly, God, we're praying that he would lead us away from temptation. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just as we need God to to provide for our physical needs, we also need God to lead us away from Satan, who's called a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5.8. If it is not for God's protection and his wisdom and his strength in protecting us, Satan will devour you. And so I would encourage you that if you struggle with a particular sin, make this a daily request to God and he will give you grace to overcome That is what the word of God promises. So friends, that is the the Lord's prayer. Isn't it amazing? I think it is just absolutely incredible, as we read at the beginning, that Jesus is able to capture the essence of true prayer in just these 70 words. 
So all of you know what the Lord's Prayer is, right? Everybody make it through that? You know what the Lord's Prayer is. On a lighter side here, before we go a little bit forward, there's a story about two men walking along together. Neither men were Christians. Neither men knew much about the faith. But the first man claimed to know more than the other. And so the second man said, I don't think you could even quote the Lord's Prayer. And I will bet you $10 that you can't quote the Lord's Prayer. So the first man promptly replied, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Stunned, the second man pulled out a $10 bill and said, I didn't think you actually knew it. Hopefully you paid attention that that is not the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus gives us an incredible model, how to pray, how we should implement this in our lives. Let me close with two application points. First, you may personalize the order of these petitions. Now again, we should focus on God and his glory, right? I think that's what Jesus wants us to do because our prayers can easily lapse into talking about ourselves. That said, I don't think you have to follow a specific order every single time you pray. You may want to, but I'm saying I don't think that we're obligated to do so every day. God knows our hearts, and he knows what weighs on our hearts. And so perhaps you're coming into the presence of the Lord, and you're wanting to pray, and your heart is bursting with praise, and so you just launch right into that. That's great. But maybe the next day, your heart is overwhelmed with a certain need in your life, and your heart just goes there. That's okay. Amen? So let me encourage you to personalize. You may personalize the order of the petitions. I don't want you to hear all this and think, now I'm locked into this every single time because we know the human capacity to start making things a ritual, right? And losing the impact. Jesus is giving us an outline, a template that we are to personalize in our lives. Does that make sense? So you may personalize the order of the petitions. Second, you should personalize the content of the main petitions. What I mean by that is you should avoid mechanically just reciting these things and think that's all I'm supposed to do as part of the Lord's Prayer. I don't think this is the intent of Jesus because even when you look in Luke's gospel, he has the Lord's Prayer contained in Luke 11, and there's some slight differences in wording between Luke 11 and Matthew 6, and I think it's because Jesus taught this, I'm sure, on many occasions. And so the key thing is not the exactness of the wording. It's that you personalize these petitions and tailor them to your own lives. And so, for example, as you think about, Lord, I want your kingdom to come, don't just simply say that and think, God is so pleased with that prayer when it means nothing to you. 
but tailor that. Lord, what does it mean for your kingdom to come in my life, to advance your kingdom? Are there ways that I'm not giving you the priority in my finances, in my time, in my stewardship of things, my spiritual gifts, and so forth? Do you see the difference there? Or with forgiveness, don't just say, forgive, us, forgive me my sins and forgive those who've wronged me. But ask, Lord, how have I wronged you specifically? Search your heart. And maybe there are people in your life, your life that, has, that have wronged you. And so search, how can you forgive them instead of holding a grudge over them in your lives? So church, the Lord's Prayer is an outline a dynamic outline for our prayers that we should personalize. Also, I do think, as we close here, that it is right to supplement the Lord's Prayer. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is foundational, but it's not exhaustive. Scripture has more to say about the content of our prayers. So we'll discuss that next week as we go one step further and hopefully just a practical series of messages on what God wants us to pray for his name and for his glory. Let me just make, close by making one final comment. Jesus invites us to pray to God as our Father. And if you're perhaps sitting here today, you might be like me, and that before I became a Christian, I probably prayed about five times on one hand. And this is how many times in my whole life I ever prayed. Just when there was a real serious crisis, but there was not a real relationship with God. Let me encourage you that when you finally trust Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, that indwelling Holy Spirit, your heart desire and passion and hunger for prayer becomes something radically new. Amen? Would you agree with that, church? And so if you're sitting here and thinking, well, I would really like to pray more to God, and I just don't really know what to say, but maybe at rock bottom, the biggest concern is I don't have a heart to pray. The chief issue might be the fact that you need to trust Christ and to know God in a personal way, not have religion per se, but a relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. John 1.12, it says, To all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what it's about, believing in Jesus. So have you committed to trusting him yourself for your salvation, for your righteousness, not trying to earn it yourself, but trusting fully in Jesus? When you come to that place, the end of yourself, the end of your own strivings, and realize that you need a Savior, Jesus is there waiting for you. And that is when prayer takes on a whole new life. Amen? Amen. Do that today. Your heart will come alive to God in prayer. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I've been a Christian for almost 25 years. 
And I still feel like asking again and again, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Lord, forgive us for our apathy with prayer in general and this marvelous, magnificent Lord's prayer that you have bestowed to us. Forgive us for allowing it to become background noise like a mighty locomotive racing by our house and we're oblivious to it. God, we pray that you would forgive us and to help us not to, to dismiss our apathy. But Lord, we're thankful that we know that you do forgive us. We also ask you to encourage us today Lord, I want everyone here to grow in their prayer lives, Lord, for our church to be on fire in prayer, loving you through these wonderful times of communion with you, Lord, and seeking fervently your kingdom to expand. And Lord, I also pray for someone here today who's never trusted you, that even in the, in the stillness of this time, God, that they would realize you're a prayer away. They will call upon the name of the Lord and believe in you. They will be saved. God, thank you so much. We are in all of your teaching. And Lord, we pray that we would be doers of your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.